coming up next on the health hustle how can i have this have the biggest impact possible in society because you know you look at obesity it only gets worse and worse but i've seen how well this works for people and i wanted to bring it to a scale where it just becomes uh, common knowledge and household language people are like oh yeah reverse diet macros protein fat carbs because once you know it you take the mystery out of it it's really easy for people to control their weight and body composition because it's math it just comes down to energy balance and then making sure that your macros are right and uh, that's a lot easier to do than people think obviously as somebody who doesn't have any experience in that world getting started in it having a lot of early on success led to a lot of early mistakes but as we've grown, the stakes have gotten higher and I've been lucky enough to have been raised in such a way to like learn from your mistakes instead of quitting every time they happen. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On this show, we uncover the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. Corey here, and on this episode, I had a chance to sit down with my guy, Mark Springer of Avatar Nutrition. Mark is a Louisiana boy who competed as a track and football athlete. After graduating college and working as a personal trainer, he quickly realized that all the fad diets that were hitting the scene were not going to be the solution to the obesity epidemic that was happening in America, which is why he started Avatar Nutrition in the first place. From literally sitting in his car, searching for Wi-Fi outside of libraries and coffee shops because he couldn't even afford to go in to buy a cup of coffee, to now having helped serve over 130 thousand people to lose excess weight i can safely say that he has had a hell of a roller coaster ride in his eight plus years of business some of the things that we get into are his first brush of entrepreneurship in high school why you should always go the extra mile the lessons in the failures of starting a tech company a quick rant on integrity what it means to be prompt and helpful i need to take a lesson on that one the mistakes of a quarter a million dollar logo design one of the greatest entrepreneurship books of all time that was actually one of my probably favorite parts about this entire episode the rise of ai and how he's using it in his business donating bone marrow which is kind of a side tangent a rapid fire question round stepping into the unknown and so much more one last thing, if you're a health or fitness professional and you're having difficulties getting leads, I have a free seven-step process that walks you through how to convert your social media following into paying clients. You can find the link in the description of this episode. Without further ado, let's go. Mark Springer, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? Corey, I am doing great. It's great to be here. You've got a really cool setup. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I did some digging, as I always do with my guests before I get them on, and you are hard to find information on. However... The form that you filled out before we started recording, you have some interesting things that I want to ask you and ping you about, which we'll get into between you have a, as you would say, a Forrest Gump-esque journey of life. Oh, uh, as my dad would say, he's the one who coined that term. Uh, but yeah, I've just kind of been the kind of person to say yes when opportunities happen. Yeah. We're going like, to get hey, into all that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's go back to grassroots for you. Literally, no pun intended. Of You started your first hustle almost like Gary Vee-like of just knocking on doors and doing what? Tell us a little bit more about your, the beginning of your entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. So that was cutting grass with a push lawnmower in Louisiana when I was in middle school. Um, I saw what lawn services were charging. I looked at the price of gasoline and then I saw an opportunity and uh, asked my dad if I could borrow the mower and I would go uh, from house to house just asking if I could mow people's yards. 
And um, that was really my first experience. And later, those same kind of principles carried to a second idea in high school, which was my cookie hustle. Uh, but I would bake these really good chocolate chip cookies. I should have brought some because they're probably the best chocolate chip cookies. Oh, you still eat. make those same cookies? Yeah, I made them like a week ago. Oh, <laughs> right, right before the power went out. <laughs> so I was like living on cookies for a little bit. Um, but anyway, people loved them. Teachers loved them. Students loved them. And I was selling them at a profit until the principal found out and shut me down. <laughs> but... You weren't allowed to sell cookies in school? What was the beef? Oh, health codes. Like, mm. oh, you know, this is some student. We don't know if he's, like, washing his hands properly when he's making cookies. Yeah. So on and so forth. I love, the, um, I love that, that tenacity of just, like, wanting to go out and sell cookies and then getting in trouble later. I think that's a good mentality for a lot of things in life. Fast forward a little bit from that then. So you were selling cookies in, what was this high school, middle school? Uh, high school was the cookies. Okay. And then continuing on to college, was there anything in that world where you also tapped into kind of doing your own venture or starting your own thing? Well, ironically, I went into college as a business major, but one of the courses that you had to take, which is the core is accounting. And I was terrible at it. I couldn't pass accounting to save my life. Hmm. And so they called it a weed out course. And so anyway, the business school weeded me out as not being uh, up to up to code for their standards which is really ironic because a couple of years ago i went back and did a keynote for them but that being said <laughs> yeah i just i couldn't do it like because i'm more of a big picture idea strategy kind of guy like that's where i shine when it comes to business the nitty-gritty details like you would see when it's like oh hey these are my debits these are my credits and you start looking at how things are positioned with a balance sheet right that's what i have my accountants do you know, you can hire somebody to fill in the gaps in your own talent, right? Like I run a tech company, but I've never written a line of code in my life. Mm. But that's why you like, you just bring the right talent together um, under a unified vision and then compensate people accordingly. Did, uh, did they bring you in the keynote to talk about what you're doing with Avatar? Like what was the reason for them bringing you back? Uh, it was really just like the success that I've had in business and life. And they wanted me to come back to the school because I went to a small school in Louisiana called Northwestern State. And um, as part of a scholarship that they have called the Extra Mile Scholarship, they wanted me to come speak. Um, because a huge part about what I've learned is when you go the extra mile for people, all kinds of different doors open up, some that you didn't even know existed. And um, yeah, I came back and I did the keynote on that and then talked to people with like... Um, the Natchitoches Chamber of Commerce and like Natchitoches Young Professionals and Natchitoches is the city that Northwestern State is in. But just as a way to kind of show that, hey, you know, you knew me back when I went to school here. You might have sat next to me in the cafeteria, played football with me, did whatever. And then, you know, I'm a real person who figured this stuff out, right? Even though I might not have been supposed to, but it happened. And so here's what I learned and that I can give and give back to you to share with you. So if you have a vision or some kind of dream that you want to build or an idea that you want to bring to life, here's some hopefully helpful information to help you get there. Do you have any examples of your own life of when you have gone the extra mile and you've seen it like pay off? Oh, no doubt. I mean, there's, there's countless. So one of the first things would be literal. So we might get a little punny here, but I was a chubby kid, as you can tell from the cookies, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there, there's a point I didn't want to be chubby anymore, and I couldn't even run a mile, right? I couldn't even walk a mile without stopping. My side would stitch up, and it would hurt. I'd be out of breath. It was uncomfortable. I hated it. But um, I was more uncomfortable in my own skin than I was going out in the summer in the Louisiana heat and sweating, 
and trying to go a little bit further each day. Like it was just a different neighbor's driveway I was trying to make it to. But over the course of the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I lost a lot of weight. And I was actually at a point where I was running 10, 15 miles a week. And then I decided, hey, you know, I want to try out for the cross country team. And so I did that. And by the time I graduated, I was running miles in under five minutes, 458 was about a mile time or my best. Uh, but I was running 5Ks in just over 17 minutes. And that was coming from having been a fat kid that couldn't even walk a mile. So that's what I saw is when you consistently apply yourself over a significant time frame and really put in that effort, things change. And so it was just seeing what trying and literally going the extra mile early in life kind of set me off on the path that I'm here now. But to give you another kind of fun example, like you never know who you're going to be working with as a customer, especially when you work with a lot of customers. And it turns out that we had a lot of WWE wrestlers that were using the app. And so I try to keep a low profile on social media, as you've determined (laughs) from your research. But I had all these WWE wrestlers start following my personal Instagram. I'm like, what is going on? It's just like a bot thing where they're trying to get people to follow them back. And so I, I DM'd one of them uh, who goes by Seamus. His real name is Steven, but um, big Irish guy. And I asked him, I was like, hey, I was like, by any chance are you using Avatar? Because that's, that's the only logical reason why they would even know who I am. And it turns out he was. And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, it really helped me get in shape for like being on stage because I'm very, because well, he's very pale hmm. and the lights are very bright. So he really has to be defined not to get washed out on TV. So anyway, he used it, had great success. Other people in the locker room asked him, hey, what have you been doing? He told him about it. And so it just started spreading word of mouth. And so what was a really fun experience, they were touring through Texas and they were going to be at the Toyota Center in Houston. And so anyway, Seamus texts me. He's like, hey, bro, I'm coming through Austin. Do you want to come tour with us? Oh, my God. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, you know, very Forrest Gump-like. Uh, so we ended up meeting in Houston. He got us ringside seats for, um, uh, what is one of their big pay-per-view things. I think it was called the elimination chamber. Hmm. Uh, I earned a new respect for wrestlers after, uh, seeing that firsthand, they were actually waylaying on each other, look, make it look good for the audience, but you know, mad respect, but anyway, awesome experience. And then we went from, uh, Houston to Lake Charles and Lake Charles to new Orleans and then new Orleans back to Austin. But yeah, I mean, just having taken care of him as a customer when I just knew him as Steven, right? It was just, oh, that's a large person that's using the system. Had no idea who they were. But, uh, you know, you take care of people, they take care of you. Yeah, man. I remember Seamus, actually. That's funny. I did. I watched a little wrestling back in the day, so I remember that guy. So that's awesome. But Oh, yeah. And I love the carryover of a lot of what you're talking about between just like health, fitness, wellness, and how that's showing up in other areas of your life. Because I did, it's, I did, dug pretty far back into some of your stuff and you were like a stick figure dude like you were thin as rails like you went through this journey correct me if i'm wrong but it was essentially like stick figure a little thick i wouldn't necessarily call you fat but you're definitely thick and then now you're definitely in like very good shape and obviously work out but like it's just funny seeing that journey oh yeah i was i was 128 pounds when i graduated high school but i was running by the time i graduated about 70 miles a week so, you know, I was just another Forrest Gump angle for you, but, uh, just running and running and running. Um, I enjoyed it, but I got my fill of cardio in high school. And so yeah. I decided, you know what? Cause I tried to play football in middle school, 
but I was terrible. I had knee tendonitis, everything hurt. I had thick glasses that would fog up under my helmet. Mm. And uh, I would try to tackle somebody, but I would just kind of hug them and they'd get away or I'd fall over. And it was really embarrassing, like not good for um, my self-perception as a kid. And so anyway, when I saw that I could change how I perform and change my body through running, I was like, well, maybe I can do the same thing with lifting weights and try to give football another shot. And I had so much confidence from what I did with running that it didn't occur to me that it was a potentially bad idea to try to walk onto a D1 football team and you weigh 128 pounds. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what the walk-on coordinator was trying to tell me in a nice way. Unless you're a kicker, then maybe. Yeah, yeah. then maybe. But, um, you know, I was like, well, you know, I don't know what – I didn't play anything in high school, so I don't know what position I would even try to be. We'll figure out a spot for me. They're like, well, you can work out with the team in the morning and like the other prospective walk-ons. And so I did that. And then at night I would go to the school gym and I would do workouts from Muscle Mag. So it was like this bodybuilding magazine. So I'd do like, at the time, like Ronnie Coleman was at the tail end of his career and Jay Cutler was really big. So I'd do like, oh, the Jay Cutler lat workout mm -hmm. on top of the football stuff and uh, just crushing food at the cafeteria. And uh, my freshman year, I gained 70 pounds. And so by the time summer came around, the team tryouts had made the team. And so it was really cool because I had a strength coach named Joe Long who was really like my advocate and he was a big believer in me and he saw everything uh, that I did even with no experience, just learning a new game, putting on a ridiculous amount of mass. I mean, it wasn't all muscle. Like, let's, right, no. Let's not get ourselves twisted here. No, no, no. But it was sure. just, I was, I'm a little over 5'10". So uh, I was very underweight at 128. So it was really easy for me to, like my natural weight probably would be around like 180 if I didn't work out. Um, and also if I ate right. But uh, yeah, if I just ate like one, I'd probably be 250. Right, right. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, so it was, it was pretty easy for me to have those newbie gains and get up to that point. Uh, but I fell in love with working out, fell in love with the process, and that kind of opened up the chapters to how I got into this as a, as a career, but it really was like wanting to share that with clients. So I got certified through NASM as a trainer and I was, uh, training clients at the school gym on top of classes and on top of athletics, uh, to help pay for school. It's funny. I kind of had a similar journey in the sense of just like the weight fluctuations. This, I feel like a lot of people go through that. I remember, do you remember the movie, um, chunk from, uh, what is that movie? The Goonies. The Goonies, yeah. yeah. The Goonies, Chunk. I literally look like Chunk, like no joke. Really? Like this little fat, awkward kid. Uh, yeah, I have photos of like me side by side with Chunk online. It's hilarious uh. how close it is. But <laughs> So I totally get that. Yeah. Well, if you've seen a Christmas story, like when I was little before I started gaining weight, I looked exactly like Ralphie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was Ralphie as a kid. We need the side by side photo. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit then. So what, how did you go from being a trainer, you're very into fitness, you were to put on some muscle mass and look good and feel good to get into the tech industry? Like what's the in-between there? Let's see. So the in-between really came from something that I kept noticing with my clients. Like they would show up, they'd work out really hard, they would do what they were supposed to, and then they would be lost when it came to what they needed to eat. And so what I saw is like, there needs to be something that I can put my clients on that will handle their nutrition. And at the time, like that was when like paleo was starting to become big. It was before keto, you know, if I want to date myself mm -hmm. here, <laughs> but, um, there was all these different like fad diets that were running around. I could at the time, like, you know, nutrition was not my expertise by any means. Really. I switched after not being able to do business to, uh, 
liberal arts. So I was really focusing on like ancient history, but another story for another day. What I noticed was there was a serious lack of anything that was evidence-based. So like, okay, what are the like first principles, reasons why any diet works? And none of these different fad diets ever touched on that. And so I started taking elective nutrition courses and I'm like, it all comes down to macros, right? Protein, carbs, and fats. And it was an agriculture professor that actually put me onto that term because he was talking about the way that they would manipulate the macronutrient composition of feed for cattle to change their beef stock. So like how marbled the meat is. And I asked him if he could do the same thing with people. And he's like, well, I don't see why not. And so <laughs> that kind of kicked that off. But um, yeah, after, so after college was grad school, um, and then after grad school, I wasn't really sure what to do because I, I was a sports admin major and that's kind of like the career path. If you want to be like a athletic director or something like that, there was a brief period between them when I was working for a company, um, that's actually headquartered out of Austin as well called camp gladiator. And so I was a trainer at CG doing, um, outdoor group fitness classes. And then I was doing like my own private training business on top of that, but I had an idea. I'm like, man, like this whole macros process is done by hand because people would coach people at the time over email. And it was like, oh, you know, I'll crunch your macros, do the numbers and adjust them. And you can email me two times a month or like whatever it is. And they charge hundreds of bucks. Like that's how a lot of these physique coaches were doing it. And so I'm like, that system is begging to be automated. I was like, computers could do a better job of that than people. So why doesn't that exist? And I, just, I was kind of like kicking around the idea and, um, wasn't really sure how to get off the ground at first because it just wasn't my background. I didn't know anybody who'd started like a company like that. So ironically, and like in hindsight, a lot of this stuff was made up, but it helped kind of give me some momentum getting started. There was a book that was sitting on top of a trash can because me and my buddy Marcus, we would it's like for a side hustle, we would go to bookstores and we'd get their throwaway books and then we would sell them. Uh, on eBay because he just knows a ridiculous amount about books. He's like, oh my gosh, this is a second edition, blah, blah, blah. It's actually worth like 90 bucks. Oh, geez. Yeah. So like, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah. So we were like dumpster diving for books, but there was one book that was sitting on top of a trash can where like I recognized it because somebody else had talked about it. It's called Think and Grow Rich. Mm. So anyway, yeah, Napoleon Hill, um, who CoffeeZilla recently outed as probably having made everything up. But <laughs> really recently? Yeah, recently it broke my heart because like I really liked that book. And I think a lot of the stuff that he had uh, is, was very useful, especially for like building the confidence to take the actions to do what you need to do to start a business. Totally. But anyway, yeah, somebody threw it away and I picked it up and read it and started putting it into practice. I was like, oh, you know, I had this idea, you know, I need to like bring the right people together and we're going to make this thing happen. And it was like, okay, we're going to make like an automated macros coach. And I didn't know anything about tech. I didn't know anything. I didn't know the difference between a back end and a front end. Right. <laughs> and anybody who's tech, who's listening to this, uh, will probably laugh at that. Right. But, um, I was like, oh, it can't be that hard. We'll just like make a website, right? So uh, we contracted with a little company out in Tampa that was a marketing company that would do like custom WordPress sites. I didn't know what any of that meant. I was like, oh, you know, we'll just have our website and the website will adjust people's macros. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that you need all kinds of databases that are specially constructed and user management and IDs and all these different things that go into it that um, were way beyond the scope of what we thought we needed to do and way beyond the budget of what we had. You know what's cool about that though? I wanna pause you quick because I want people to get this, is that 
not knowing was actually to your benefit because it actually gave you the tenacity to take action on it versus most people that actually knew the industry would have been like, whoa, that's way too much. I couldn't possibly do that versus you. You just dove in and then now you're almost like, well, we got to figure it out because we're here and we're doing it. Well, yeah, it turned into go hard or go homeless. Totally. Uh, so, totally. It's a good quote, but totally. Yeah, it was It was figure it out. Um, but yeah, it was really funny because we had this non-functioning version of the website and all the while that we're building it, right? Like I thought like the plan was, okay, we're going to go to Tampa. I'm going to get a job somewhere and then work on uh, this business on the side. So that way we're stable. And at the time I was living with, another partner and now current ex-girlfriend like it's don't mix business and personal it's not a great idea but anyway you know we were trying to figure it out and there's a lot that we didn't understand about what we were getting ourselves into but it hit a point where i had to take a job working at this little gym called ufit and it's, it's like a competitor to planet fitness and it was the only place i could get a job i think i had applied for over 80 positions I made it to like 12 rounds of in, or 12 final rounds of interviews and got no offers. Damn. So I was trying to do like staffing agencies, logistics and transportation, like everything. But uh nobody would hire me. And so I was like, well, I did really well in college, you know, I was on the honor roll, started club sports, like we started a dodgeball team at my school and like in the world of college and postgraduate, I was the man, but the man wasn't good enough apparently. So mm. it was really kind of it was tough to swallow and also going deeper into credit card debt while you're trying to get something off the ground that may or may not work. That was rough. But anyway, so I took a job at this place making 10 bucks an hour and then doing a little bit of training there too, trying to get it all figured out. But what was funny is that job ended up uh, technically firing me <laughs> because my uh, director, right. My training director went out of the country for a couple weeks. And so I took all her roles. And so I was working probably 65, 70 hours a week. And then when it came time for payroll to be run, they tried to get me to sign off that I didn't work those hours because they had a company policy that they didn't pay overtime, mm. but by law they'd be required to pay overtime. And so anyway, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I was like, I worked that it's, it's owed. But anyway, they're like, all right, we'll pay you, but you're not going to be working for us anymore. I'm like, all right, deal. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, but at the time, uh, Katie, my business partner, had just got a job herself working as a dietitian at a nursing home in a little place called Plant City, Florida, which is sort of in the middle of the middle of nowhere. But what we would do is, because Katie's job uh, at the nursing home paid a lot more than UFIT did. So I was like, okay, we can pay rent and we can eat on this budget. And so while she was at the nursing home uh, working there, like it's kind of funny that because the place she worked at actually wound up on national news because like rats were falling out of the ceiling. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah it was it was it was rough. But um, anyway, what I would do is I would try to find free Wi-Fi. So I'd go to the Plant City Library. I'd camp outside of the Starbucks because I couldn't afford to like actually buy a coffee. But I would like sit out there and be like sweating in the car, like ghost writing articles and doing like voiceover recordings for videos. And there was one of our old videos, like these don't exist on the site anymore. Maybe we should like put them back up just for like, you know, wow, look how far we've come. Yeah, totally. But you can hear an acorn hit the roof when I'm recording, but I finally had it. And like, I finally got everything in one take. It was like three minutes without stuttering. So, um, we ended up rolling with it, but for a while you hear the 
<laughs> like two minutes into the video, just that little acorn hitting the roof of the car. That was like our sound studio. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is like, nobody told me it was going to be like that. I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. It wasn't, <laughs> but, um, that got us to launch day. And when we first launched, uh, we had another partner. There were three of us when we started and he's well known in the industry. So we were the first company to ever do anything like what we're doing. There's plenty of competitors that we have now because it's a great idea, but he has a large following. Uh, I, yeah, I'll name drop him because we're well past the point where the legal stuff is passed. Sure. Yeah. Lane Norton. Yeah. So um, one of the first guys to really pioneer the whole evidence-based approach to nutrition. So when we launched, we had a lot of people sign up like 13, 1400. And so that's 13, 1400 times $10 right? That was paid to us because we were $10 a month service. And so we had cash flow because we had customers and everything broke, right? Uh, Chase froze our bank account because they saw so many transactions. They thought it was fraud. So <laughs> trying to figure that out. So people were like blocked from signing up. Uh, the website was crashing because it wasn't built for the traffic. And um, there wasn't even a backend that was built. So everything was just like initial calculations. So it was a disaster. And so we were getting angry emails from customers that were coming in faster, not than we could respond to them. They were coming in faster than we could open them. And so, you know, it was being awake for about 20, 21 hours a day for about a week. Jesus. Like trying to figure out what we needed to do. And so we used the money that had come in to hire freelancers to basically patch and build the very basic framework that should have been there before we launched. And then all in the meantime, this was a massively valuable lesson that was learned was even though most of the people were really angry when they sent those emails, they weren't expecting a person to answer them back and try to help them. Because I was thinking, these are all people who are coming here for a reason. Like, they gave me their money. I need to take care of them. And so I had something called a GUI, which is a graphical user interface where I could basically just type in a command line, the basic stats about the person, then it'll spit out their macros. And so I was running the adjustments for about 1,400 people by hand through a GUI for a few weeks kind of getting started and also maintaining all these email threads. So it was just nonstop. Like I think I have a little bit of arthritis as a result of that. But that being said, taking care of those initial wave of customers that were originally upset, turned them into people that have been lifelong customers and advocates for what we do. Mm -hmm. So it turned them from being just like a customer to a fan. And then them using it, getting good results, sharing it word of mouth is how the company continued to grow and grow and become what it is today. And there's a lot more that we can go into with that. But it just, like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, like, especially getting started. No, not even close. I love the story about you sitting outside of, like, a library or something or a Starbucks trying to get Wi-Fi. Was there any other odd things that you had to do to try to, like, make uh, ends meet when you guys were just, like, basically struggling to pay the bills? Well, let's see. So there was working at the rat-infested nursing home. There was UFIT. So Katie, she's a registered dietitian. We helped her build, like, her own little personal brand called the Fit Dietitian. And so we used uh, Weebly, which is, like, a little custom website builder to make like a landing page for her so she could take on some clients too. So I was like building all the Weebly stuff and she was lacked the confidence to really want to promote that, but she was way overqualified to be doing it. Uh, but we did a little bit of that too. So that helped. Dude, that's wild. Man. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And I sold everything I owned. So. 
there was that. And it was a small cat, like sold my Xbox and all the games that were with it. But yeah, that was that was basically it. Have you always had that kind of personality though? To just like, because I feel like a lot of people would be put in that circumstance and just quit, right? They would give up. They would walk away. They'd be like, "This is way too much. I can't handle it," and just like go get a nine to five and move away from it. Like, what is it about you? Would you say, or like, why, where does that come from for you? I think there was probably a shift when I stopped being overweight because I would quit things all the time. Like once it was too difficult or uh, I, I got negative feedback that hurt my feelings or so I was, I was like what you would call a snowflake. Right. But when I made that decision that I wanted to lose weight and started running and it worked, like it, this major change happened in me as a human. Hmm. And then at that point I stopped quitting, like just period. Like if I put my mind to something it's going to happen and over time, like I learned the value of your word, right? And if you're a man of your word and you put your word on something, that thing is going to happen come hell or high water. It's like, you think about, um, the declaration of independence, every single person who signed that was also signing their death warrant because you're now a traitor to the crown. So, but then putting their word on that and because they were men of their word, they were ready to die for what they believed in. Hmm. So same thing goes, even simple things like, let's say coming to do this podcast, I could have said, oh, well, you know, we're going through this big security review. I just got an email. So I really need to focus. And I told you I was going to be here. So I'm here. Right. Right. And then I'll handle everything else afterwards. Uh, but same thing. Like if I say, I'll go, Hey, let's go grab coffee sometime. How many people say, let's go grab coffee. It just Tons. never happens. A lot. You know, and those people, you look at other areas of their life, maybe things aren't working right. It's because they lack that integrity of their word. But like, if I say coffee, I'm going to chase you down and <laughs> put you, put a latte in you. you know? <laughs> I was just with a couple of buddies of mine last weekend, two really good friends of mine. Uh, shout out to Chris Bates and Connor Meekins. But that was one of the things that we talked about of like the value of integrity. We were just talking about like, what are the things about like our certain characters that we just value a lot. And I hold that probably at the tippy top of like everything I would say integrity. So mm -hmm. I honestly appreciate that you're on that same wavelength. Oh, no doubt. And then like look for integrity in people that you work with. Cause we've had plenty of uh, vendors and other people that we worked with throughout the years where you work with low integrity people. It's no good. You know, you wind up getting burned one way or another, um, and they may not even intend it, but it's just like a predictable outcome of that kind of way of living. Yeah. And then, excuse me, you work with people who are high integrity. It's like a breath of fresh air because you know, they're going to do everything that they can do to make that interaction successful. And they know you're going to do everything on your end to do that. And so it really is like a collaborative synergy that can take place in those types of relationships. I want to circle back to what you were talking about, how you learned just the value of the relationship with your clients when you were basically sending them all personal messages about their macros and everything like that. What do you think maybe other people could learn or take away from that? Because I think that's, especially now today, I mean, because that was back in what, 14, 15? Yeah, like 2000, it was November of 2015 was when we launched. So now today, I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's probably even more so important now than ever before of just like really having that personal relationship. And you have, I know, what, like 100 plus thousand people using this application now? Yeah, we've, we've had over 250,000 individual customers since we started. So that's 
incredible. So how does somebody like, what could we take away from that from like a personal standpoint of even at that scale? And like, keep in mind too, a lot of other people listening to the show are like probably a lot less than that, right? Like they're probably more or less gym owners or chiros or doctors or trainers or whatever. So they have maybe a decent amount of people and like, so they understand it, but like for that many people, like how do you manage something like that? Well, you never compromise quality. And so you make sure that no matter how many direct messages are pinging you or how many live chats are coming through, how many support tickets are being generated, that you're always prompt and helpful. Mm. And that's it. It's just respond. Like, take a look at that person's situation because, like, we can see everything that people are doing on the back end. We know exactly what people are going to need help with. And then just opening the door to conversation because it's not like, hey, you know, let's resolve your ticket and then, like, boost up our net promoter score. It's like, mm, there's more to it than just your net promoter score. Like there's a person on the other end of that interaction. And when you treat them as such, and you can scale that up within your support structures at your own organization, it just continues to grow and prosper because we are terrible at marketing. Hmm. It's something that we've never figured out. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, yeah, as an, an, a, a sidebar, but there's something I'm going to look at with a company that we contract some of our development work for where they're doing something with sales and marketing. So I'm going to hear them out because <laughs> <laughs> I have a good relationship. They're high integrity. But that being said, uh, all of our growth has come from happy users and people that we took good care of. And the system works great. Like all you have to do is use it. Like my older brother, he actually started using it um, earlier this year. Sometimes it takes your family the longest to get on board with stuff that you do. Um, but he said he had one complaint. He's like, it only works if you use it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's everything. But that being said, even though the system itself will work for anybody who uses it, a lot of times people are going to have their own holdups for why they're not going to be using it the way that they're supposed to. Maybe they track five days a week and then blow it on the weekend and it becomes like a pattern of behavior. It's not a problem with the system. It's something else that's going on. And so when you have somebody really dig into that person's situation and try to figure out, okay, what's causing this behavior? Um, how can we strategize to get you around it? Like maybe we just go ahead and pre-allocate higher macros for the weekend for you. So that way you're not having to think, oh, I got to restrict when I want to have a little bit more. So there's just a million different things that you can do to help out. But you have to be open to dialogue in order to make it happen. Yeah, prompt and helpful. I like the way that you said that a lot. I would say just personally, that's something I struggle with. Not the helpful standpoint, but more the prompt standpoint. I'm a, I can be kind of a stickler about like my my time and my space and time blocking and all those things to the point where I'm probably not being as prompt as I could be with a lot of my clients and customers. And to your point about marketing as somebody, I do marketing for a living. That's what I do. And I love it. It's my whole world. It's, that's great for me. But I also more or less recently learned too, just to play devil's advocate about the concept of like, when you provide a really good product or service, which you guys are doing and you take the time to actually create a really good product and service, that you don't really need to do that much marketing at the end of right. the day. Right. Yeah, that's that's what we discovered. Um, because I mean, the amount of money that I've lit on fire over the <laughs> years is is terrifying. Um, and it'll like if we talk about a little bit of like just some basic advice and lessons for people who are getting into this world, the things that they look at. You know, remind me I said that, and we'll we'll dive deeper into it. But yeah, I mean. I'll just give you an example. We had this uh, thing called the Google Advantage Program, right? So somebody with the at google.com email address reaches out to you. You're like, oh, wow, you know, the gods on high have <laughs> extended their little hands down to lift us up to, you know, tech heaven. But um, anyway, it turns out in hindsight that the Google Advantage Program was contractors that Google would hire and give email addresses. And it was 
to get people to spend a lot of money on banner ads. And then the people who were like your account manager were getting kick, kickbacks from it. And so anyway, <laughs> we spent like almost six figures on banner ads and had two conversions from it. Oh, so, ouch. Yeah, the ROI was not exactly awesome there. And they both wanted refunds too because they thought we were a keto app. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so it's like that, can, that kind of thing can happen, but you don't know until you know when it comes to a lot of lessons like that. So don't just assume that because somebody looks like they're affiliated with an organization like that, that they really are. And you got to understand and quickly respond to like, okay, you know, what is promised is not what I'm seeing. And yeah, there might be a dozen different reasons why that is like, oh, well, you see part of the strategy with brand exposure is people need to see you 50 times, like whatever, right. <laughs> things like that. Right. Um, you know, maybe there's something to that science, but that's not the right approach for a company that's bootstrapped. Hmm. You know, if you have a hundred million dollars in seed funding, okay, you know, maybe you can have billboards on the road and just like spam people with your brand so it's constantly in their head. But again, like it was just one of those expensive lessons learned, but not even close to the most expensive. <laughs> so what's the most expensive? Oh goodness. Um in terms of just raw numbers, it would be understanding what a bounce transaction is or understanding declines because industry standard is around like a 15% decline rate for online transactions. So uh, most of them are called soft declines, but it's just a bank declining a transaction because they don't think it's a reputable vendor. But then you have hard declines, which are things like an expired credit card, a credit card reported lost or stolen. Didn't know anything about declines when I was doing this for the, so for like the first uh, year, like maybe year and a half, we had this massive amount of money that was um, accounts receivable, right? One of the few things I remember from accounting, <laughs> right? So we had like, I think it was 1.4 million in accounts receivable. So it was money that was supposed to have been paid to us by customers that we never collected on. And so, yeah, good luck getting that when it's $10 a transaction. <laughs> so was it like we didn't, prioritize the time to try to get that back or try to uh, create flows, right? Like let's say a card declines. So we can say, hey, you know, there's a problem with your card, please update it, you know, if you want to continue using the service. Simple things like that. So, you know, it was it was a very expensive lesson learned, but. Uh, so people got to use the product for free for a while, basically. Is, oh yeah, 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 a lot of people, about, <laughs> about 15%. <laughs> uh, I know you've recently touched on a logo um, expenditure as well. Can you, do you want to share that? Oh yeah. That was our quarter million dollar logo. So, uh, <laughs> so that's the thing is like when we started, like we had a lot of customers and not a lot of expenses. So we had a lot of money that we, uh, very poorly managed because again, neither myself nor Katie nor Lane really understood these things. Um, and that's why we made so many mistakes. But for instance, once we were doing really good, we're killing it. We're like, hey, you know, let's build like an app for iPhone and Android. Uh, and so we're not just a website because we were a website that was connecting to another tracking app for people to track their macros on. We found a company that was um, like a dev shop in Tampa. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can we can build this for you. It's going to probably take us about like you know three or four months. And we're wire transferring 60000 a month over to them to build it. And so they would send us screens of like, oh, yeah, look at all this work that we've gotten done, blah, blah, blah. But they were just renderings. 
So we're like, hey, we need, and at the time we still had a couple freelance developers that were working for us. And they're like, see if they'll actually send you the code. Like, I'd like to take a look at it. And they just want to do it. Mm. And so at the time, like I had this thing called a sunk cost fallacy that was running in my head. So it's like, oh, we've already invested so much. Like, I'm sure they're not going to screw us over. Right? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to believe that they were reputable. But it turns out that they were billing us for hours that they were using to work on other projects because they had overbooked themselves. Mm. And by the time we figured that out, they were being sued by like three or four other companies. Like one of them was John Deere. Jesus. And uh, they ended up filing for bankruptcy and the guy fled the country. But um, yeah, so all we actually got out of that was a logo that we don't even use anymore. And we put about a quarter million into it. Damn, dude. <clears throat> yeah. I could see how that could very easily happen, though, because like in a lot of ways, agencies are essentially selling time right? The time that they put into logos or websites or design or whatever the case might be. And like, yeah, you don't really know where that time's going at the end of the day. And so it's funny though, John Deere though, actually where I did my graduate school, the headquarters is uh, Quad Cities. That's where uh, John Deere headquarters is. That's where I actually did my grad school. So it's funny. So you guys have, again, we're getting real punny on this episode, but you have a certain client avatar that mm -hmm. you essentially associate your business with. Um, do you mind sharing that story and where that comes from? Well, I can tell you where the name comes from. It was actually our patent attorney. Uh, so our patent attorney is a guy named Al. And Al, he's one of the coolest dudes you'll ever meet. Uh, but he had hemophilia. And so that's a disease where if you get cut, you basically don't stop bleeding. So, um, you know, really hard thing to have growing up. But it limited his ability to, like, play like a normal kid. And over time, uh, it can cause your joints to calcify. So it hit the point where he was effectively paralyzed from the hemophilia because his joints were all locked up. So he was trapped inside of his own body. Uh, but he ended up getting a liver transplant, which is like a very important thing if you have hemophilia. So he had that liver transplant and the calcification went away and he had his body again. He could move around normally. And around that time, like the movie Avatar had come out and it really made an impression because like the avat like your body is the avatar for your mind and your consciousness to experience life. And he's like, people who are overweight are trapped in their bodies instead of being enabled by them. So the body's like an avatar. You're like avatar nutrition. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And so that's how we uh, ended up coming up with the name. That's cool. I yeah. like that. That's really good. I definitely have not heard that story so i appreciate you sharing that one. Oh, yeah not many people have so. so one thing i wanted to ping you on quick was that one of your favorite books is atlas shrugged can you maybe share why and i want to preface this by saying that book took me at least over a year to read and it's one of those books where like if you talk to a ton of entrepreneurs that a lot of them recommend it i feel like people fall in two camps it's like they all recommend it or they've like never heard of it basically is like the two camps i feel like it falls into What's it so, like, why is it so important to you, I guess I should say? It speaks to my personal political philosophies um, in the most one-to-one, -one perfectly matched up ways possible, right? Because I'm extremely libertarian, and that's kind of what Ayn Rand was, mm -hmm. is like the, fa like, objectivism is the philosophy that she founded. And then when you look at Atlas Shrugged, like, it's really about people, so, like, your, your movers and shakers of the world that were that you don't necessarily think about, right? Um, like the engine that runs society and all that. And if you just, for lack of better words, take a dump on those people all the time and you drive them away, like don't expect the things that were a byproduct of their work to stick around for long and then mm. things start to collapse. And there's a lot of parallels that I see in today's society. Like 
oh, what's a good example? They had, it was the Equality of Opportunity Act and Atlas Shrugged. And does that not sound like something you could see coming out of Congress today, <laughs> right? Because, um, you know, there's a lot where people think, oh, everybody ha- should have the same outcome in life, right? Well, you know, I think everybody should have the same opportunity, right? right? That's what freedom is all about. But people are different. Like, people have different ambitions, different desires, different things that are important to them, different skills. Like, no two people are exactly the same, not even identical twins. The minute you're born, that's when there's a divergent path. But all that being said, like, I believe that people should have the freedom to carve their own way in life with minimal interference from outside forces. And um, that was kind of like the vision that uh, Ayn Rand painted with, or painted with uh, Galt's Gulch, right? So you have like the whole who is John Galt thing mm-hmm. and um, all the people just kind of like form their own society where they freely trade and interact with one another and kind of rebuild uh, while society outside of them crumbles. Totally. But, yeah, I read that and Fountainhead, uh, both for reasons of just like entrepreneurship and how the carryover between both of those is just like so profound. You hit on something, though, that I didn't even actually pick up in the book, which is hilarious. And so anybody listening to the show, for the record, this book is long as hell, which is why it took me so long to get through. But it's definitely worth the read. But you hit something about the engine of society that I really liked. I didn't actually associate that with the engine that she was hunting down throughout so much of the book. I didn't. I'd never. Oh associated yeah, that. It, it was a little sneaky metaphor she put in there because like you had John Galt's literal engine that they're trying to find, right? But really, the engine that runs the world was the people. Totally. Yeah. I think one of my. I'm going to butcher the quote, but one of my favorite lines from that book was that she said something along the lines of like. There's just, there's no bad work, just bad workers, essentially. So more or less, it's like, it doesn't really matter what you do per se, as long as you just like put good effort and energy towards doing it, right? It's not the title so much that's important. Yeah, I don't remember exactly where that was in the book, but I mean, it's loaded with great quotes. Um, Like my my favorite is the speech from Francisco D'Anconia when he's talking about like, no, um, like trying to generate value is the real principle of what money is. And so he's like, if you are creating something that earns you wealth in um, a non-manipulative way, like you're just serving a need in the market, then you're doing something good because you're creating goods and services that people didn't have access to before. And then they're rewarding you for that with money. Totally. And um, it's, it's a cool thing. And, uh, you know, what you choose to do with that is on you. Like if you want to just continue growing what you're doing, which is what I, that was always my thing is like, how can I have this have the biggest impact possible in society? Cause you know, you look at obesity, it only gets worse and worse, but I've seen how well this works for people. And I wanted to bring it to a scale where it just becomes uh, common knowledge and household language. People are like, Oh yeah, reverse diet, macros, protein, fat, carbs. Cause once you know it, you take the mystery out of it. It's really easy for people to control their weight and body composition because it's math. It just comes down to energy balance and then making sure that your macros are right. And uh, that's a lot easier to do than people think. So, yeah, you know, obviously as somebody who doesn't have any experience in that world, getting started in it, having a lot of early on success led to a lot of early mistakes. But as we've grown, the stakes have gotten higher. And I've been lucky enough to have been raised in such a way to like learn from your mistakes instead of quitting every time they happen. But anyway, we got a lot of big things that we're working on. We even shifted uh, more to like a B2B model. So instead of just working with individual customers, now we work with gyms, coaches, and trainers who can leverage what we've built at Avatar 
to add nutrition coaching to what they do, or if they already have it to save them a ridiculous amount of time. But that's been a big thing for us. And again, it came from a customer request because we had a guy who, um, he had fit body bootcamp franchises, like 12 of them in the Michigan area. And so anyway, he's like, Hey, is there any way I could provide an avatar for my members at my gyms? And I'm like, well, that sounds like a good opportunity. Mm. And then, um, once I started to learn more about how margins worked, it was a real no brainer to take that approach. And I was right around the time that I was uh, going through a course called know your numbers. Uh, a friend of mine, Tim Francis here was basically doing like entrepreneurial accounting courses. And uh, I took that with them. And that was one of the things that I learned, but I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know, if you are charging a gym for like 200 seats at five bucks pop, you know, it's a thousand dollar transaction. So that transaction bounces, it actually makes sense to chase them down. And so you have a 0% effective decline rate on these groups. And you also save a lot on processing fees because your standard processor is going to charge like three, 3% plus 30 cents on each transaction. So you're saving 30 cents X, uh, 200 transactions or 500 transactions or whatever. Hmm. And that adds up. So you make your margins a lot better. You have some big goals in mind and a big impact moving forward. Is there anything else that we missed maybe in terms of just like the future of Avatar Nutrition that you want to bring up? Well, really the the main future of Avatar Nutrition is I want us to play a measurable role in reversing the obesity epidemic. Hmm. So we've helped people lose a little over 3 million pounds since we started, which at the time I did the last calculation was like one seven thousandth of what we would need to do because it's, it's just that bad. Damn. And, um, I want to say like the average weight gain, uh, for people in 2020 was close to 20 pounds. And that was already on top of the highest obesity rate ever reported. <clears throat> yeah. Aren't we at like 70% or something crazy like that? Yeah. It's overweight. Like it, it, there was 42% obesity, like clinically obese, uh, in 2019. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, when the new numbers come out, that is closer to 50%. And that's, that's, that's obesity. That's obese. Which is different than overweight. Right. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's pretty wild, like, how bad it's gotten. But, I mean, there's a lot of cool things that we're working on. Like, obviously, you, you can consider the rise of AI. Mm. So, we're incorporating AI into different areas of Avatar. One of them is actually really cool. We're working on, like, photo body fat recognition. So, people can just take a picture of themselves, and it'll tell you what your body fat is. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I mean, that one's, it's not working very well right now, but it's sure it's under development. Yeah. yeah. And then like a, tell me what to eat button. Uh, that one's going to be really cool. And then there's also some things that we're going to do with actual like food fulfillment. So it'll, we're working to a point where it's like, just eat the food we give you and you'll get really good results. I'm a, I had a great conversation with another buddy of mine who just loves to get deep into philosophy with me. And I know you have some love for philosophy as well. And, uh, one of the things that we were kind of getting into was like, I was almost fearful of like how much AI is taking away of just like thinking in general, like to your point of what should I eat button that eliminates any need to think at all, which in a lot of ways is good. And his pushback, and I'd be curious as your thought on it is his pushback was basically like, it's taking away one might consider low level thinking to allow more space for high level thinking. Right. So you don't want to outsource your creativity. Right. And that's one of the things that especially language model AIs can't do is create new thoughts. All they can do is try to hash together logical sentence structures from uh, the data that was put into them. Um, the training, like the training data. It's the same thing. Like, you know, we can upload photos 
right, and say, okay, you know, based all the, the structure and outline of this image, this person's height, weight, you know, this is what a body fat would be for that. And you can start to understand trends and recognize shapes and put it to the right body fat. That's, that's how you train that kind of data. But when it's like, oh, write me, um, you know, an email that I would send to a potential business contact about, you know, X, Y, Z, and it'll spit something out, hmm. you know, maybe, maybe you could do that. But the thing is, do you think you could do better? And if you could do better then go for it. But, um, cause I think about a lot of this stuff too. Um, do you know what a Luddite is? Have you ever heard that term? I know the term, but I don't know what it is. So it goes back to industrial revolution in London and so at the time, weaving, like you would, act, you had weavers, like weavers, uh, it was a very common profession. So you would make wool into socks and hats and just whatever else. But then you started to have these mechanical looms come along. And once you had the mechanical looms come along, you could have one person operating it effectively, like replace the jobs of a hundred weavers. And so all these viewers like, you're going to put us a lot of work. And so there was like actually the revolution, like buildings were lit on fire, people died. But what was crazy is the Luddites are the people who were fighting against the machine. But it turns out that the amount of uh, finished goods that came from wool products as a result of these machines boosted up the British economy so much that it created new jobs that these people could get into and their lives improved because there was more goods and services total. And so I'm always thinking, it's like, oh, am I being a Luddite (laughs) when it comes to AI? I'm like, you know what? You know, it has a lot of things where it can be applied in a way that saves so much time for people that can then be used for other pursuits. Totally. Um, or it could turn into Skynet and kill us all. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you though. Like I'm a total optimist at heart. So it's funny. Like even when I was having that conversation with my buddy as well, I was like, God forbid that AI takes away all the jobs that nobody wants to freaking do anyways. Like everyone's mm-hmm. complaining about it. Like it's taking away my job. It's like, you complain about your job anyways. What are you talking about? Like it's doing you a favor. So like, oh, yeah. I'm a total optimist anyways. So I just think it's great. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, I think it will have as big of an impact on society as the internet did. Yeah. No question. And most people are still... I think it already is. Oh, yeah. Like, like, even from an agency standpoint, like, the amount of work it's cut down on for me alone through the agency is bonkers. Like, how much I can get down as a solo person now, which would take teams in often cases of, like, copy and design and creative logo designs. And, like, the amount of AIs doing that for me now, it's bonkers. Yeah. But that's that's going to allow you to really spread out your wings Totally. So it's freed up the space for like what I was kind of saying earlier is more higher level thinking, more creative thinking. Um, so I totally get it. So I, I could take all your time, man. You were a fascinating guy before I have a round of rapid fire questions, but before I get into it, there's one thing I have to ping you on about you donated bone marrow. What is this about? You? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, this actually ties back to when I was in college, there was a blood drive that came through our school. And so the football team all went and donated blood. And when they were doing that, they were also doing cheek swabs. And they were like, hey, do you want to be in, like, the National uh, Donor Registry? Like, I didn't know what that was. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, we got out of practice that day. It was fun. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. So anyway, swab my cheek, put in a tube, and forget about it. And then this would have been 2016. So that was, like, geez, like eight years after I would have done the swab, maybe seven or eight years, something like that. 
I kept getting these calls and it was, it was like the national registry and I'm like registry. I just kept thinking one of my friends must be getting married, but I'm broke <laughs> and like, I can't afford it. So I just kept ignoring it and they just kept calling. They're so persistent. And so finally I picked up and they're like, Oh, thank, thank God you picked up. They're like, we're uh, with the national bone marrow donor registry and you matched someone. I'm like, what? Oh, cool. And they're like, yeah, it's like one in 2 million odds. Anyone ever like just matches a stranger. And so for people who have leukemia, one of the things that like one of the life-saving treatments is they'll nuke all your existing bone marrow with radiation and then put in the marrow of a donor who's perfectly matched to your uh, blood type and all those other different genetic components that make a person unique or mostly unique, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, what happens is the donor's marrow sets into the bones um, absorbs into them and then starts generating healthy cancer-free blood cells. And so like, you know, it's literally, it's one of the coolest things ever when it comes to, like a medical procedure. But anyway, yeah, I matched with somebody and, um, went to Cook Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, and, uh, went through the procedure and yeah, I get, there's the way that I did it was the old fashioned way where they actually drill into your hips and take the marrow out Ugh. it wasn't that bad i mean like the soreness afterwards is like a hard workout like okay. a hard leg day you know no no biggie but for a lot of people you can take uh medication so you'll take this medication and it causes your bone marrow to go into your bloodstream and then they hook you up like you're donating plasma or something like that and so they'll take your blood out, then they'll filter the marrow out of your blood and then put your blood and plasma back into you. So you don't even have to get like a, you don't even have to get any uh, drilling done in your hips. Uh, but I had too many cu concussions for that medication <laughs> from my time playing football. So, um, you know, I had to do it the old fashioned way. But uh, yeah, I always, I tell people every chance I get, like it's free, you know, just go to be the match.org and they'll send you a kit. You can swab your cheek and have your own story if you're lucky. Forrest Gump. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, it's funny. Be the match. Actually, their headquarters is in Minneapolis right next to where I used to mm -hmm. live. I'm from Minnesota and I'd walk by that headquarters all the time. And I remember people that used to work for them and they would like, they would fly around with their little like cartons of like bone marrow or stem cells or whatever it was. And like, cause they, they only survive for so long. So they right. had to, like get people to like fly on certain trips and do all these crazy odd hours. And yeah, it's a really interesting company, but yeah, well, actually, we raised a bunch of money for them um, because this like, we're doing a paid transformation challenge. It's active right now. Um, but the way that we did it was it's like a $50 entry fee. Half went to be bethematch.org, and the other half goes to like a prize pool for the winners. Hmm. So uh, raised a bunch of money for them. So I'm really looking forward to like cutting that check at the end of the challenge. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Good for you. Service. I have rapid fire question around for you. You ready, my man? All right, let's do this. What's your best business advice? Uh, know your numbers. The classic best marketing advice. Let your customers do it for you. Favorite part about entrepreneurship. Uh, the creative outlet of it. When are you the most productive? Uh, before the sun comes up. Who is your inspiration? Uh, I'll say Elon Musk. Cool. Tell me one secret or something just most people don't know about you. Hmm, I feel like we might have dove into a few of these things, um, but I was actually in season one of True Blood on HBO as like an actual character or what? No, nah, as a photo double, body double and stand in, but it was a really fun summer job. Forrest Gump again. Yeah. Uh, what would you change about yourself? Mm, I'd make myself two inches taller. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite app or resource right now? 
Uh, well, I can't, I can't say Avatar. Avatar. I was just going to um, say Avatar. You know, I got to give a, shot, a shout out to a company called Top Tal. Uh, but basically what they are, they're a technical vetting agency and they connect freelancers to uh, tech entrepreneurs. And so that's where we've gotten a lot of our development help from. And they've been amazing, like some of the best people to work with. Huh, cool. Yeah. When were you the happiest? Now. Love it. What's your favorite part about Austin and you can't say the people? Hmm. If I can't say the people, I will say the food. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Everyone says they're people. And by the time I got that for like the 20th time, I was like, okay, we get it. People here are great. We can't use that as an answer anymore. Well, I, so actually I might, I might go back on that cause I'm from Louisiana and the food's better. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, anyway, well, you got your cookies here. So you should... yeah, my cookies are here. Like I'll make some gumbo and etouffee and things like that. Really, <laughs> really wow people. But like one of the really neat things that I found out or found about Austin is the diversity of industries that are located here allows you to learn things that you might never have even come across just so long as again, you're putting yourself out there. So it's kind of a people thing, but it's also an opportunity thing here. Like the opportunities here are off the freaking charts. Yeah. yeah. I've never thought about that, but yeah, the diversity of like all the other things happening here and what you can learn from other industries. Mm -hmm. It's huge. I have one last question before I ask that question though. I just want to acknowledge you, man. Like, it's so cool to see this journey of literally like working out of a car, trying to find Wi-Fi and credit card debt, struggling to pay the bills, taking up odd jobs into where you're at today of like even prior to getting on the show of like huge things into the future ahead of where you're going. And I just want to acknowledge that, man. That's cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. And like I said, no, no lie. Like I feel like there's a million other things I wanted to dive into, but I do want to respect your time because I know you're a busy guy. But before I ask, last, ask my last question, uh, other than Avatar Nutrition, what's your plug? I know you guys are kind of push Twitter a little bit more. What else? Uh, well, I mean, we're on all social medias as Avatar Nutrition. Um, yeah, Twitter is something that we've been trying to push a little bit uh, harder because it's something that helps us get in front of new eyeballs on that individual level. But yeah, I guess the other thing that I would plug, if I had to plug anything, would be bethematch.org. Mm. So, uh, you know, go to their website. Again, they'll send you a kit for free. The kits cost money, which is like why we're doing a fundraiser for them uh, to help them cover those costs. But if you want to donate, you can donate directly on their website as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you just got to think if the shoe was on the other foot, mm. you know, I think I'd want somebody doing the same thing for me. Totally agree. It's I love small town stories. And so the fact that I literally lived like right next to the headquarters in Minneapolis and now we're talking about this today. It's kind, yeah. of, baff it's kind of baffling to me, actually. It's called serendipity, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so last question. Really, it's just your best piece of advice for other entrepreneurs out there is really what it comes down to. So like if you were to start over even maybe from ground zero of Avatar Nutrition or you were somebody else, whether it's a trainer or a gym or somebody starting an app, what's maybe the best piece of advice you could give to a young entrepreneur and make sure they're doing the right thing? Be open and comfortable stepping outside of what you know. Because all information, you could think of it as a pie chart, right? So there's a little tiny like hair sliver on that chart that's stuff that you know, right? Your areas of expertise. There's another little hair next to it that's the things that you're aware of that you don't know. I mean, that could be like Arabic. You know, I know it's a language, but I don't know how to speak it. And then you have everything else, right? And where you grow is when you step into the unknown unknowns. And that's when um, you have the ability to actually tap into information that you've never come across before and apply it to your own life and vision. And a big part of that's dropping your ego 
because a lot of times just admitting that you don't know something to a complete stranger, you know, well, oh, I'd love to tell you about um, accrual accounting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or like, who, who knows what it's going to be. Um, and it's just like uh, I have a good friend who's in the startup world here in Austin who the unknown unknown to me was how startup financing works, like how seed rounds and all that goes. We were bootstrapped. I didn't know bootstrapped was a word. Right. Because, you know, I sold all my stuff at a garage sale at my dad's house. And, you know, that in my bank account had like 5,000 bucks. And, you know, that was my, my startup money. But anyway, there's been so much that I've learned that has been applied to the business as a result of, again, just stepping outside of what I know and being okay with being the guy who just doesn't know. You know, people love to teach. Like it's your most successful people, whether it's like, you know, find the biggest guy at the gym, that's going to be the person who's most willing to tell you about working out. You know, you find the richest guy at the hoity-toity event, they're probably going to love to talk to you about like their life and what they did. And you're going to learn some good stuff. Totally, man. I was just actually just recently on a cruise and we went scuba diving and it was the first time I've ever done it in my life. And that opened a world of knowledge that I didn't even know existed, even to the degree of like learning about how anxiety feels when you're 40 feet underwater and you can't come up again. Like that was a lesson in itself. But oh, my goodness, the bends. Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. But appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, brother. Corey. Thanks, man. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening to the show. And if you have any feedback for me about the show or any other guests that you'd want to see in the show, definitely shoot me a message. I love engaging with my audience and figuring out how I can provide the best value possible to the people listening to this show. Before you go, I only have one ask of you, and that would be to check on my Three Tips Tuesday newsletter. It's three marketing tips every Tuesday specifically for the health and fitness entrepreneur to help them attract new leads. If you press the link in the description, it'll take you directly to the archive of all my previous newsletters, and you can decide for yourself if it's something for you. If you end up finding it helpful, you can just sign up for the newsletter and you'll get it in your inbox every Tuesday. Thanks again and keep hustling, my friends.